Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. The Easter Sunday terrorist attacks in Sri Lanka have outraged and horrified people around the globe. The death toll currently stands at over 350, with an additional 500 injured. Today we're discussing how the social and political situation in Sri Lanka contributed to this atrocity taking place, and what Marxists say is the way out of desperate situations such as this. We recommend that you listen to this podcast in conjunction with episode 26 on terrorism. Now, over to Sarah Rack. Okay, I'm here today with Isai Priya. Isai is a member of the Socialist Party and also a leading activist in the Tamil Solidarity Campaign. Hi, Isai. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Um, And today we're going to be discussing, in light of the horrific attacks that took place in Sri Lanka over um, Easter weekend. Um, So to start with, Isai, do you maybe just want to explain what it is that happened in Sri Lanka on Sunday? So we woke up on Easter Sunday uh, and the whole world attention was on Sri Lanka following eight uh, blasts that took place. And I think it's right to begin that our first and foremost thoughts are with all the victims and all Mm. those affected by the blast. I mean, it's like you said, it's atrocious. It's an absolute shockwave that's sent through. And I think so far, the last time I checked, it was 359 lives have been lost and more than 500 have been injured, um, injured. And it is like, um, it's a, it was a well-coordinated attack, so the timing was quite um, simultaneously almost. And uh, just to kind of say in a bit more detail, it was in like eight places, and um, it was like in three famous churches where masses are held in all, in the three languages, English, Tamil and Singhalam. And there's also targeted tourist uh, locations such as hotels and uh, restaurants. And what's kind of been the initial response of people to this terrible event? I think it's, it was an attack on all communities. I mean, the victims were from the Sri Lanka's main ethnics and religious uh, groups. And, you know, the victims have spoke Tamil and singular languages. But I think uh, the initial response had been one of shock. Uh, and not just in Sri Lanka, but across the world. And I think um, it was more of a shock when you see a sudden rise in the death toll as well. It was like, you know, it started off with 50 and now it's like over 350. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, such a mass killing has never actually taken place in the history of Sri Lanka in this level. But again, Sri Lanka violence and killings are not new in Sri Lanka. I mean, this year has marked the 10-year anniversary of the genocide that took place in 2009, where uh, the Sri Lankan government was responsible for killing over 140,000 people, it was estimated. And I think the events on Sunday has opened up the wounds of that memory as well, like people see these images on TV and then the flashback of what happened in 2009, the loss there. And also it's more of a loss because people haven't really recovered from it. There hasn't been any kind of information on the disappeared of people that are still missing from 10 years ago. And so the Sunday event was really like a, a reminder of that. But what was really, um, what you could really see was a huge human solidarity that actually took place immediately after the uh, attack and I think in the short period of time it was released that there was a blood shortage for those uh, injured and uh, victims and uh, so there was a huge human solidarity where people were queuing up um, in hospitals to give to donate blood 
and this was like in um, hospitals in predominantly in like Muslim populated areas in Tamil populated areas as well as singular populated areas like all three communities came together to show solidarity to give what they could and it was a real sense of we're all together in this and this is an attack on all of us yeah that's something that is quite common in um following these kinds of disasters and uh, attacks isn't it and that is often missed out that you know there's a lot of emphasis on people attacking other people but that's actually a tiny minority and from the majority we always see an outpouring of human solidarity don't we You're right. um, i mean i think a lot of people look at Facebook or the me- their own medium and then see like a few comments which dominate and they think that is it but actually if you look broader than that people are actually coming together in a very mm. more solid way than uh, before. Yeah but then that is kind of ordinary people's response right. but then uh, what, what's been the response of the the government in Sri Lanka for example? Well um, they kind of issued a uh, national emergency and a curfew was implemented but they also uh, deployed more armies on the street. And this kind of fueled, like, it made people more uncomfortable because of the history of Sri Lanka, where the army is not seen as someone that protects them, but more as someone that actually stirs up division amongst the communities. And it actually increased, in some ways, the tension that exists. So they tried to do that. But I think what was shocking was that on Monday, on the press conference, like the health minister revealed that um, they actually knew that warnings were given prior to this attack and that, uh, you know, foreign intelligence agency were saying that uh, churches might be targeted, foreigners might be targeted and stuff like that. So this was shown, but they did no action on that and it was just kept on a lower um, authority level. So it didn't even go to the prime minister or the president. And what was shocking was that the uh, Ranil was the prime minister. He said that if that had reached them, then they could have actually prevented uh, a vast majority of the loss mm. that had, had taken place. And uh, it, was, it wasn't done because there was a breach in con- uh, communication, which is not a really a good enough excuse, really. And um, uh, at the moment, the defence uh, secretary and the chief police are under huge pressure to resign following their misconduct of um, uh, the method. And uh, the loss, obviously, is... Not them, but ordinary people who are suffering still. I think uh, the the final proceedings have taken place in Sri Lanka and the loved ones are saying in a very tragic way bye to their lost ones. But it's still, you know, it's not something that's going to go away lightly just by the government issuing an apology for a misconduct of what should be a normal process. Absolutely. And I suppose it's worth um, explaining to people who don't know much about the situation in Sri Lanka a bit about the general political situation. Who are the government? What you know, and how how is this um, maybe played into the tensions that exist mm. in society there? Yeah, like um, like I said, there's three main uh, communities in Sri Lanka. So there's a singular majority communities, uh, the Tamil community, Tamil speaking communities, and the Muslim community as well. And uh, in a way, since the end of the war in May two thousand and nine, there has been a continuous whipping up of tension between these communities consciously done by the government and uh, at the end of the war with the all communities were promised peace that it would be finally be over and that they can go back to their normal life the democratic rights and you know have a standard of living but none of that has actually materialized in fact no concrete measures have taken to improve the conditions 
for the tens of thousands of victim, uh, war victims as well as uh, ordinary people. And like I said, people are still held in political uh, prisoners, for example, and uh, there is still a, a big gap on the uh, missing people uh, information. And so the continuous denial of democratic rights and attack on minorities has kept that tension bubbling underneath the surface. But also I think it's worth um, mentioning that um, some Buddhist extremist groups were consciously promoted by the Sri Lankan politicians and particularly by the former president Mahinda Rajapaksha and his family. And in effect, there is like a election pending coming on in Sri Lanka, a presidential and a parliamentary election. And the former defence minister, Kotapaya Rajapaksha, is planning to stand. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's using this to whip up again anti-Muslim propaganda. But also it's worth mentioning there that this particular defence minister, Kotapaya Rajapaksha, was actually involved in establishing a an openly racist Buddhist monk organisation called for the Balasena, BBS. And these are like, again, this uh, this particular group went around and attacking Muslim communities and also stirring up this anti-Muslim rhetorics, especially on the east side of Sri Lanka, where the vast majority of the Muslim community live. So it's like a purpose attack on the Muslim communities. And we see historically, like, Sri Lanka is not the only country, but, you know, these divide and rule techniques are used to split through the communities and really keep themselves in power and not like you know it's easier for them for the uh, right wing and the ruling class to say that there is a lack of services because of this particular community rather Mm. than to say it's because of uh, capitalism in general and um, the government is doing that more as well because in Sri Lanka there has been a change of government in 2015 where the Rajapaksha regime was defeated and this new so-called democratic in quotation mark (laughs) came to power and they promised you know they came to power under this program called 100 day program where they said they would implement all these policy which were really progressive policies for everyone like you know they were some kind of an advantage like some kind of good thing for like farmers for students it was like trying to uh, it was a really good progressive uh, program but and they got elected on that basis but really, that program hasn't materialised mm. in any way whatsoever. And um, they are in a bit of a situation because there is a financial crisis in Sri Lanka and the IMF is kind of dictating the neoliberal fence. So they, the government is forced to, and to be reluctantly, they're not really fighting back, but they're carrying through this neoliberal fence of privatisation and cuts in funding. And we can see that... that um, the IMF has like put forward conditions on their budget, for example, where they reduced this, uh, the amount for education and healthcare, but increased the defence budget. So it's kind of like, um, you know, where the incentive really is. But it's also important to point out that uh, there has been a numerous protests against these politics in Sri Lanka. And um, historically, free education and free healthcare is like one of the proudest achievements of the working class in Sri Lanka where they fought to get it and still up to today free education and free healthcare is maintained in Sri Lanka and it's a constant battle and um, struggle to maintain that but um, what was interesting was that last year I mean we talk a lot about the political situation in Britain where we see the parliament like really in crisis 
And uh, the similar situation happened in Sri Lanka in October, where there was a parliamentary and a constitutional crisis, where the uh, current president has sacked the prime minister undemocratically and appointed the the war criminal Rajapaksha as the new prime minister. And it was an unprecedented crisis, and it led to a standoff, really, where there was a bit of a fight going on. And in the parliament, if you looked at some of the video, there was like throwing chairs at each other, throwing chilli powders at each other. It was a really bizarre scenario to see. But that was an expression of the crisis that exists. And um, so, like to say, there's like two main parties in Sri Lanka, but the government is more of a coalition. And there is that constant battle between them two. And they were, because of the election coming up, they will try again to use this to try and bring themselves either to stay in power or to change the government but yeah so that would be a kind of a mini outline of the situation in terms of the parliamentary situation in Sri Lanka yeah um so you mentioned the kind of reactionary um Buddhist uh groups that have been trying to uh, abuse the situation but there are actually all kinds of right-wing reactionary forces aren't there who are who are trying to capitalize in the aftermath of the attacks already just in the first few days yeah i mean um as an activist in socialist party and tamil solidarity but i think as a as a normal person you would get really annoyed when you see people like donald trump or theresa may suddenly coming out mm. seemingly like they care about the victims and on the surface you know they say that they want all community to stand together and they preach about unit unity but that's not what they do in their policies. And for example, like Narendra Modi, the Indian Prime Minister, for example, is trying to use this opportunity to blame it on the Pakistan nationalists and try and, again, uh, whip up this Hindu nationalist chauvinist thing that he does to try and blame it on the Muslim communities rather than a few, because this is not carried out by the Muslim community and we must absolutely be clear of that this wasn't carried out by any community it was carried out by a few individual although we don't know who has officially you know there's under investigation and there's been some claims but we're still not sure who has done it but what our starting point is that this is an outrageous attack and this is like something we absolutely condemn and this is nothing to do with the communities and nothing to do with the ordinary people and um, so we must be quite clear of that but I also think uh, Donald Trump, for example, I wouldn't be surprised if he uses this to try again to stir up. He's already doing it, like, in a way, like this anti-Muslim sentiment and try and wouldn't even put it past him to say that we should go further into wars and bombs and stuff like that. And I think we should just be cautious that they will try and capitulate on this and that their immediate uh, thought is not about victims or people of ordinary people and stuff like that. Absolutely. And of course, we've seen just in the recent period that these kind of terrorist attacks can be carried out by people of all faiths against people of all faiths. You know, exactly, that that's yeah. uh, not the the decisive thing in the situation. Yeah. Okay, so what is our alternative to this, I suppose? We're talking about how badly it's being handled by mm. the Sri Lankan government, how it's trying to, um, you know, different right wing politicians and so on are trying to use it. But what do you think needs to happen in the wake of the attacks? I think, first and foremost, we need to be quite clear that we oppose all scapegoating and divisive Haiti propaganda, like no no blaming 
any particular communities. But I also think we need to be quite clear that we defend all democratic rights, including the right to religion, the right to faith to practice it, but we also defend the freedom of speech and assembly and the right to strike and protest because all of these democratic rights will be under attack by the Sri Lankan government. They will use this as an opportunity to cramp down on any kind of struggle emerging against their right-wing policies, against the neoliberal attack. And I think we must be, first and foremost, quite clear that we defend the right to people to protest and the right for them to practice and for their faith, the right to religion. Because it's like, what's the background of this, isn't it? That's the question we need to ask. What led to this attack? Mm-hmm. And we, like, our our starting point is to say, what can we do in the next, in the near future? Or in what kind of policies we can implement to kind of stop the very conditions that's providing this, you know, um, again, I'm not defending the people that um, carry through the attack, but what is leading the uh, groundwork for these kind of extremist view to take place, really, to mm. what's the ground they're taking. And I think we need to kind of um, fight for the rights of all minorities in Sri Lanka. We defend the rights of the Tamil-speaking people, for example, for their right to self-determination. But we also defend the Muslim communities. We want all stops, either verbal or whatever, uh, on the Muslim community to be stopped immediately. Because, like I said, it is the working class and the poor that pay the prices for um, these attacks. And um, the other thing I think we need to do and kind of expose is the hypocrisy of the Sri Lankan government as well to say that it is their policies that is actually leading to this situation and we need to, um, there's an election coming up uh, and the primary task will be for us to kind of build a working class mass party that can actually put forward concrete demands similar to the 100 day program but actually implement <laughs> it um, in the interest of um, single Tamil Muslim communities and I think we call upon all the you know, progressive working class uh, organisation to come together to discuss what kind of platform we can do that in and actually put forward a real alternative because that is the only way we can actually fight, first of all, the conditions that are breeding this, but also to actually defend um, communities as well. I also think we should think about, like, um, communities organising themselves to, like, you know, for lookouts or to try and uh, come together and um, defend themselves as well in a way like that they uh, organize some kind of gathering or public meeting to try and uh, talk about how they feel and stuff like that because there is an urgent need I think in the aftermath straight aftermath that we should um, put more money into health care in the sense that you're uh, like discussion with them to deal with their post-trauma stress mm. disorder to kind of really talk about um, what they're going through and help them through that process of the recovery process, but also talk to them about what is actually, you know, make sure that they don't blame any particular communities and try and, through that, build that uh, confidence in them to actually fight against the right wing of the Sri Lankan government. Because Sri Lanka has a very strong history of united struggle. And like I said, it is through the struggle of the various communities coming together that we actually won some of the you know free healthcare, free education that exists and we need to uh, reteach that history because that is being rewritten by the Sri Lankan government and we need to say what is the history of struggle in Sri Lanka and what who are our natural allies, who do we align ourselves with and I think 
through that, but also through a common program of concrete demands, such as healthcare, education and homes for everyone for a, a decent living standard, that we can actually unite these different communities on a class basis and actually fight against the real root cause of all of these atrocities and all this, the ground that's breeding these situations. And that's kind of the work that Tamil Solidarity is all about, really, isn't it? Um, and, you know, you're, you're very involved in the Tamil Solidarity campaign, which is kind of led by young Tamil activists mm. in particular, many who um, come from Sri Lanka uh, originally themselves. Do you maybe want to tell people a bit about what is Tamil Solidarity about and how people can get involved and what it tries to do in, in these types of circumstances? Uh, sure. Like Tamil Solidarity was set up in 2009 and it was actually set up before the end of the war in May. And it was set up to to say that there's a war coming and we need to stop it. But in the aftermath of the massacre that took place of the genocide where, you know, like I say, 140,000 people died, we were the only organisation within the Tamil diaspora to put forward the clear demand that the struggle must continue. Because you can imagine there's a sense of demoralisation that takes place immediately mm. after, like you see all these people being killed and it has a personal effect. But we said that that the struggle must go on, but on what basis the struggle goes on? Because at that point, a lot of organisations turned to the United Nations thinking that they would be able to win the rights for the Tamil people, but also the justice for victims through UN. And one of our campaign has been to expose that and say that what is a UN um, UN is not something in the interest of ordinary uh, working class people. It's something there to uh, kind of make things, saying that they're doing things for people, but in, in effect, all their policies are against them. And also, just to give you an example, in Kashmir, for example, they passed on 94 or 174 resolution. I can't remember how much, but a ridiculously large amount of resolution, but nothing has uh, materialised, and that's because it's not it's not in their interest to do that. They mm. don't really care in a way as well. Like the UN has known that the genocide was taking place in Sri Lanka, but they did no action whatsoever to stop it. So you know, one of our tasks has been to expose that. And um, and one thing that we concretely put forward within the Tamil community is the fact that how do we win the rights for Tamil speaking um, uh, people? So it's both in Sri Lanka and here as well. So in Sri Lanka, we know we defend the right to the self-determination of Tamil people, including separation. We put forward a common policy to unite, like I said previously, the various communities and actually fight for the rights of everyone. But here in Britain, Tamil Solidarity is trying to organise their Tamil communities here to take part in the struggle in Britain as well, because most of the Tamil-speaking people, if you look at it, they're either in like low-paid or public sector jobs and they're like, you know, disproportionately affected because of the black nation on the austerity measures. So mm. a, we try and get them involved in struggles, get them involved in, if they're workers, we have this campaign called Join a Union Campaign, where we try and encourage them to join trade unions, to take part in their struggle, but also to link up with what we call our natural allies, who are like the working class people, the other uh, oppressed communities, to fight against the right-wing government and to really put, fight for the rights of uh, ordinary working class people, which is something that uh, we're the only campaign that's actually doing within the Tamil communities. So we work heavily with the um, trade unionists as well. We got Unison, which is nationally affiliated to us. We also got NIPSTA, which is a public sector union in Northern Ireland, which is also nationally affiliated to us. 
But we also last year had PCH, which is a civil service union who affiliated to the Tamil Saudade. And this is quite important because there are home office workers in the PCS. Mm. And, you know, the question of who controls borders and stuff like that has been um, raised. So all of this we do to bring together the to the working class so we can actually put forward a real alternative. But so in the, in the sense that you, how you can help, if you are a trade unionist, for example, uh, contact us to um, so that we can speak at your branches to affiliate to us. But also you can um, donate us money. But most importantly, if there's a struggle uh, locally in your area where you know where there might be some kind of Tamil-speaking person, contact us. We will try and talk to them and link that up as well. So um, these are some of the things that you can do. We've got a website as well, which you can check out, which is like um, org which again goes through uh, more of an update on the political situation as well as the struggles taking place in Sri Lanka, which is something that is not reported as well. We supported Siri Tunga Surya, who was a USB United Socialist Party member in Sri Lanka. Again, the, you know, a sister organization of the Socialist Party that fights um, against the Sri Lankan government and for the liberation of the working class, really. You know, we make sure that our struggle is linked up with all these uh, other forces so we can actually be stronger, um, uh, united together on a common programme. Okay, thanks very much for joining us, Isai. Thank you. Don't forget to check out episode 26 of the podcast on terrorism. You can find a link to that and several things to read on Sri Lanka by going to the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. Please leave us a review, subscribe and share the podcast to help us get more listeners. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved with the Socialist Party, we want you to join us. Leave your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join.